Do you want to maximize your success with NCUA? Join Mark Trichel as he shares with you the insider's view on passing your exam with Flying Colors. The With Flying Colors podcast is sponsored by Credit Union Exam Solutions by Mark Trichel. If you would like to work directly with the Credit Union Exam Solutions team and receive support to optimize your results with NCUA so you save time and money, visit us at marktrichel.com to find out more. Hey everyone, this is Mark Trichel. Thanks for joining me for another episode of With Flying Colors. For this episode, I'm excited we're going to have a deep dive on the Central Liquidity Facility, also known as the CLF for short. And I have Steve Farr with me here today, who's going to talk through many of the intricacies of the CLF. Steve, how are you doing today? I'm doing just fine in the middle of a snowstorm here in Montana. Snowstorms in Montana, November 7th, and I'm participating from the great state of Virginia, and it's in the 80s. But you're in Montana, so you win. Yeah. Very good. All right. So, Steve, if you could give a little bit of a background, your background at NCUA. I know you, you've been helping me help credit unions over the last two years since I've left NCUA. You left a little bit before that, but share with the audience, for those who may not have heard any of the previous podcasts that you've done, a little bit of your background at NCUA. That's great. I did about 30 years with NCUA, working up through the ranks as an examiner and then spent a great deal of time as a problem case officer out on the West Coast mainly. Then I went into the central office and served roles, different roles in risk management. And then in my final years at NCUA, I worked heavily on the risk-based capital rule and served as the vice president of the central liquidity facility. Very good. So you have a very unique view that very few people have ever had, having served as the vice president of the CLF. So you know a lot of the inner workings and understand the regulation and the how the Federal Credit Union Act works. And there's been a lot of dialogue in different ways from NCUA recently, and we'll walk through some of that. But in these times that we're in right now, you hear a lot about credit unions having a little bit more concerns about liquidity. It, the last several years, it was that they had too much liquidity, but liquidity is drying up a little bit and it has people looking at their options relative to liquidity. And part of that goes to what the purpose of the CLF. So why don't we start there, Steve? Could you walk through the purpose of the central liquidity facility? In just simplest term, the CLF serves as a federal liquidity backstop to credit unions and the industry. And that's really what it is. It has the ability to borrow from the federal financing bank in the event when liquidity is really tight. And that actually came in quite handy during the 2008, 2009, the Great Recession, when there were liquidity issues all around the planet. Credit unions didn't escape that challenge because of the challenges of the corporate credit unions. And they... The CLF was, a, again, a wonderful tool for credit unions, which allowed NCUA, partially allowed the NCUA to hold to maturity those bonds and those assets that had been purchased in the corporate credit unions that were virtually worthless or pennies on the dollar until liquidity returns. Yeah. It's, go ahead, Steve. Let me kind of just go over that because a lot of people, it's, it's, enough time has passed, they probably don't remember what, this, what all the CLF did in that and what, all of the things that had to take place for the CLF to be able to do. They had to have Congress remove an appropriations limit on how much borrowing the CLF could do. Because at that time, while the statute allowed them to borrow more money, 
the the appropriations rule allowed them to only have 1.5 billion. So that had to be changed. And then they did all these lending programs to put liquidity into the system. They, some people might remember them as the Credit Union System Investment Program, which was a SIP program, and the Credit Union Homeowners Availability Relief Program. And those loans that added liquidity in the system totaled $8.4 billion. Then in March of 2019, when the NCOA board took the steps to soybilize the corporate credit union by placing U.S. Central and West Corps into conservatorship, the CLF approved a $10 billion advance to the share insurance fund in order for the NCOSF to extend liquidity stabilization loans to those institutions. So by the end of the year 2019, the CLF's loans totaled $18.3 billion. The other thing that took place about that time is the NCOA board made a change in the CLF's earnings retention policy and that they started to retain earnings because even though the CLF's operations are very low risk, they're not zero. So they started retaining some equity instead of returning all of it in terms of dividends on the funds on deposit. So those are all the things that took place then. And kind of to go along that is there's a similar thing taking place because the CARES Act allowed the CLF extended some of their authorities temporarily, and those generally expired December 31st of 2021. The NCUA board wrote a letter to Congress in November of 2021 asking that these enhancements be written into permanent statute so they could, could keep liquidity in the bad times. Those were increasing the CLF's maximum lending borrowing authority. Statute sets it's 12% temporary, 12% of basically equity. And the temporarily that was raised to 16%. We'll go into this a little bit more in detail later. They want they allowed lending to the corporate credit unions. There was greater flexibility in agent membership. And we'll talk about agent membership later and provided the board with a little bit of clarity and allowed loans for more of the extension of, of, of loans and kind of loosened up when the CLF can grant loans. So they wanted this, they've asked that those things would be made permanent. Now that's important because there is no guarantee that in the event of a future crisis that the executive branch and the legislative branch will be accommodating. And that is a little bit of a risk that takes place. It's nice to have all these backstops well in place and not have to rely on, we sure hope that Congress does this, or we sure hope the Secretary of the Treasurer allows th these things. Because we did have, Mark, you remember back then, we were in a lot of offices in the Treasury during that time. <laughs> so we just were, a reminder. Yeah. No, we were, you and I, you're bringing back some, you're shaking some cobwebs off some memories, some good, some exciting, some scary back in that crisis. And you and I were involved in many different ways. And, you know, you point out the fact that first, some of the things in the language and the change you, that NCUA was able to get, even though it was only for a year or two, as tied to the CARES Act, was from lessons learned. As you said, creating a little bit more flexibilities on the loans they could do. And that would have been from lessons learned on how you how liquidity was utilized in the last crisis and how it might be able to have more clarity around how it could be used moving forward. But if that all evaporates, you can go back to ground zero. 
And as you said, do it when you have the opportunity potentially to get the votes. Don't let it evaporate or you might not ever get it again. And that's something that NCUA has obviously been very cognizant of. The board's been talking about it. Now, whether or not they'll be able to get the votes to make it permanent or extend it again, your guess is good as mine, because as they say, that takes an act of Congress. But all great points, Steve. One other thing that popped into my head is that $10 billion in liquidity that you mentioned. At that juncture, uh, the role that I had, I was the regional director in, in Albany. There, the corporate credit union program, who was the person who in charge of that, was retired. They asked me to serve as the acting director of the corporate credit union program. And I was actually um, making that request. We put $5 billion into one institution and had the ability to put $5 billion into one in US Central, one in West Corp. And before that, the biggest ask from the CLF was a credit union that I had a few years earlier. So in, in one year's time, I went to I went from having to ask for $300 million in liquidity from the NCUA board and explaining they had not seen it yet that happened either, right? So it was a $300 million ask, and it was a huge ask, and it was not a controversial ask, but it, it, a lot of heavy lifting to get that done. And then 15 months later, we were asking for $10 billion dollars. And I just remember pausing when I was doing that, the irony of the difference in all those zeros. But by having all those zeros, you have the ability to help more credit unions, ultimately. That's a good kind of primer to get the conversation going. And so, Steve, the last over the last year, the NCUA board has done two briefings, two credit unions. The NCUA board meets the third Thursday, generally, of every month other than August. And so far, they've had two briefings on this topic. Could you walk through if there's anything you'd like to add relative to why they did that or what was discussed at those briefings? Yeah, it is interesting and a commentary on the importance that they're placing on the CLF at, the, at this point in time. The first briefing was in January of 2020, and the one was just recently in October of 2020. And there's a slides that you can look at that were presented to to the board at that time, and they would provide a lot of details that I'm just not going to go through because time won't allow it. Some of the finer details of, about the CLF, and those are a useful source. So keep that in mind as you go forward. The other thing that they have changed and commented on there is they've made the CLF now a permanent office. When I was there, I was the vice president and there was a president, and we did that job as and other duties as assigned. And now they've made the full-time position for the CLF president. And I do believe that the vice president will be a full-time position. And the CLF has one other just excellent staff accountant. It's just wonderful. So they've changed the emphasis that the staff is now dedicated to the CLF, which has allowed things that I can see already. When I look just at the website, they've improved all of the forms that you would go to for membership and loans and all that. And it made them you know, PDF compliance that you can do the inputs on them and added a lot to the website that would has fre frequently asked questions that would help you as if you're considering the CLF and want more information. The other thing I always uh, tell people that I would look at is the audited financial statements of the share insurance fund and all those includes state a statement from the CLF and the footnotes really tell a, a tremendous story and help fill in any questions that you might have. So I really uh, tell people that's very useful and something I reviewed in preparing for this presentation. The, the other thing I commented on is back in 2009, the CLF started retaining capital for its own losses. And they don't just retain willy-nilly. 
we do study how much equity the CLF should hold, the same as a credit union does, and looking at our risk probability of default and loss given default analysis was performed. And that's what determines how much retained earnings that the CLF has from the investments and covering operating expenses, and then the rest is paid out in dividends. So that, in a nutshell, is really just the, the operations of the CLF. Got it. Got it. And you mentioned a lot of documents there. I'll try to remember to put those into the show notes, but you made me smile when you referenced footnotes. You were the you were the guy way back in the beginning of my career at NCUA that turned me on to looking at those footnotes. There's treasure in those footnotes is what I learned from you way back when, Steve. And that always tends to ring true. And as you said, there's things there in the CLF. If you really want to become a student of the CLF, check out those footnotes. So that's great. So we've walked through the briefing. So we've walked through the general operations of the CLF and things that are going on because of what you've seen in those briefings. You mentioned the November 2021 letter to Congress. Is there anything else relative to that letter that you think we should highlight here today? No, I don't think so. And then that letter is on the website and can be pulled down, but it's a very short letter so that Congress can read it quickly and get the sense of what they want. So CLF borrowing ability, we talk, we've talked through the fact that there, the CLF has the ability to borrow, that we utilize that quite heavily during the last crisis. That led to when the CARES Act came out, NCUA wisely going to try and get some things put in place so they could have broader authorities on the borrowing authority, and that's about to expire. Anything else you'd like to add relative to that particular topic? Yeah, and and there in the comments that the board members made at the October session, you can read those, and it it provides a little more on this, but I'll cover a, a bit of it that really should take care of that. The CLS borrowing authority is based on the capital stock and its surplus. It's a statutory limit that's 12 times that that amount. So temporarily, the CARES Act raised that to 16 times, but that expired on December 31st of 2021. So now you look at what the capital position of the CLF is now. And uh, take that times the 12 times. And so they have the borrowing authority of $29.3 billion. So you kind of look at that and go, wow, during that corporate crisis, it had loans outstanding of $18 billion and inflation and all that. And so that's one that tells you that there's not a lot of margin for error. Now, because of an item that I'll cover in more detail, but I'm going to cover how it affects capital now. The uh, corporate credit unions were allowed to do agent memberships, and we'll cover that in detail. But those agent memberships came about because of the CARES Act, and that added about $400 million in on-book capital and a borrowing authority of about $9 million. Or, in other words, has that increased the amount of CLF capital stock, and you take it times the 12 times, that generated an additional $10 billion in borrowing authority. So now when that expires and those funds have to be returned on December 31st, 2022, the CLS borrowing authority will be reduced to $19.6 billion, 
which puts it pretty close to where it was in the crisis. The source of funds that the CLF has is from its own funds, and it can borrow from the Federal Financing Bank. Uh, we have an agreement with the Federal Financing Bank. It, it, it works pretty well. It's re renewed every year. But that really is briefly a description of the CLF's borrowing authority. Got it. And so there's two variables there, right? The CARES Act allowed, gave a 33% increase instead of a multiplier being 12, it was 16. And it also allowed for, for lack of a better word, the creation of some capital, which increased the multiplier. So the result is 10, when this expires, $10 billion of borrowing authority available to the credit union system goes away if it's allowed to expire. Got it. The so let's go in a little bit more detail to the let's the agent membership concept, what that means, how that works, and any other just general thoughts or comments on that. Yeah, that's a, a good one to go into now. As I said, the CARES Act temporarily allowed the corporate credit unions to become what's called an agent member of the CLF to a subset of their members. And that was with the uniqueness of the CARES Act. So they, what happened in May of 2020, because of this act, all of the corporates joined and purchased capital stock for their members with assets less than 250 million. And so that is, is what contributed to the increase in the capital stock of the 403 million that's on deposit. And that provided the federal backstop and liquidity for 3,641 3, is the latest number of the smaller credit unions that now had access to a federal backstop. It's about to end if no, no changes in the regulation. And as we talked about before, is the, the reduction of that capital being paid back out and the reduction it has in terms of how the uh, multipliers determine and in the borrowing authority, that's where the $10 billion reduction in the borrowing authority comes about. Got it. Go ahead. Yeah, that and when those corporate credit unions funded that amount of capital and they'll get it back and then they were paid a dividend on that. And I'll go through that dividend process in a little more detail with natural person credit unions. So this is a, a, an important issue for the smaller credit unions in that they've, they've lost that federal backstop. Got it. Now that's that. This is a big loss for the small credit unions if it does evaporate. That's for sure. Yeah. So that's a good segue into the natural person membership. Why don't you kind of walk through? You and I know what natural person credit union means, and if you kind of look at the words, you might be able to figure it out or suss it out, as they say. But in NCUA nomenclature, what's a natural person credit union, and then what's a natural person membership of the CLF? Right. Yep. So the natural person credit unions are those credit unions serving credit union members versus the corporate credit unions. The uh, that That is the important difference between an agent member and the natural person one. So what happens now is the credit unions who now lost that backstop that feel like they need something in terms of liquidity, they all have the ability to become a natural person member. And you become a natural person member by filling out the application that's on the website which I recently said has been much improved. And then you subscribe to the capital stock of one half of 1% of paid in and unimpaired capital and surplus. Now you have to put on deposit with the CLF one half of that amount. And then the remainder is on call. 
the amount that you have on deposit is adjusted after the year-end call report is in. And that provides a couple of things. It helps, it, it maintains the right capital base based on the membership of the CLF. And it makes NCUA go back through working with the wiring instructions that we have. So we keep those more up to date. So that has a, a, an extra benefit. So now on that amount that you have on deposit at the CLF, a dividend is paid on that. And it's pretty close to generally almost exactly the same as the Fed pays on excess deposit. For example, in the third quarter of 2022, it was 2.24%. And prior to that, it was always, it was less than 1%. So that shows that it does keep pace with the increase in general interest rates to CLF the dividend has increased that amount too. and But the CLF, of course, invests very short term, number one, because now it's facing the payout of so much of the agent memberships, but generally it does invest rather short to keep its purpose as being a liquidity source. And the earnings that it has allows it to be able to pay the dividends that are paid out. There are 352 regular members and the, uh, there used to be a waiting period for getting a loan on that thing. That's been waived. But the website does a wonderful guy, job of guiding you through and including all of the calculations that would go into determining how much you'd have to have on deposit. And then the, the agreements are fairly lengthy, but easy to understand. Steve, that's about, if I did my rough numbers, that's about 7% of credit unions belong. And probably the bigger ones do it. As you said, the smaller ones are currently covered through this other arrangement, but there's benefits no matter what size you are. You could argue that maybe a smaller credit union, it might make more sense because it gives, because of some of the advantages that it gives you. Um, and yeah, I know we're going to talk about borrowing from the CLF, but other than for the good of the order and making a deposit that de makes a decent return compared to other options, and the fact that you have this deposit and you buy this this stock, I guess it's a stock deposit unless I'm mixing up my definitions here, th that helps the multiplier. Do I have that right? Yeah, yeah. Those are the more members that the CLF has, the greater its borrowing authority becomes. Back to that multiplier of 12 or 16, depending on which operating rule you're under. Now, the other thing is what, so what, let's speak a little bit to the borrowing from the CLF. If a credit union was going to want to work with the CLF, they find themselves in a liquidity crunch what can you, what do you have to say about how that works? And then as a follow-up question to that, or maybe you'll deal with that, uh, are there advantages? And I think there are from having listened to the webinar, are there advantages to being a, a CLF member before you find out that you need the liquidity as opposed to thinking you might need it later as far as timing and things like that? That was a mouthful. So let's talk about borrowing from the CLF. Yeah. And in terms of the natural person credit unions, it'd really be looking that for the CLF members, I mean, it's real dependent. You know, some credit unions operate tighter liquidity than others. So certainly if you're a credit union and you earn tighter liquidity, the federal backstop that you need to comply with the regulation, the CLF is certainly great, serves that purpose. Now, if you're somebody that does is has a lot of liquidities, don't have a lot of loan demand, 
you may not have as much need to be on the CLF. Now, what happens is if you have low liquidity, suddenly an event happens and now you're faced with a liquidity problem that can't really be resolved from general market sources, then you have to look to the CLF. The CLF's lending authority is limited a little bit by, not a little, limited by the statute. And it we're back to that they can't make loans to expand a credit union's loan portfolio, but the CLF can grant short-term adjustments and those are 90-day ones. And those are generally from credit unions that are affected from a short-term outflow of funds. And these generally occur in terms of like the hurricanes and those types of disasters. And those ones could come into play because when and in an area is affected by a hurricane, there's an initial flood out of liquidity as everybody has a lot of stuff to, to buy and stuff. Then as insurance payments come back in, it quickly becomes a great amount that comes back into the institution. And it can be difficult for everybody to start putting those funds to use because there's just limited resources in the area. But that's one uh, potential use of it. There is a seasonal loans that can be done for those institutions like agriculture ones that have a big outflow of funds at certain times of the year. Those are generally limited to a 270 day maturity. There are per Protracted credit adjustment, longer term ones that, that can be done. The important thing to remember is if you're borrowing from the CLF, you have to be credit worthy. So it's not a source of funds for a troubled institution. It will require approval of the supervisory authorities, NCUA and the state. The rate assigned to those loans is the higher prime or the federal financing's rate on the advance. And they have to be fully collateralized. And the by the change has been made. It used to be that we required would not lend no more than 90% on even a treasury. And the NCUA board did change that. And that is listed in the CLF collateral margin table. So if you're going to look at borrowing from them, you can pull up the CLF margin table and look at these are the instruments that we would have, believe we would have av available to post as collateral for that. And you would be able to see how much you would be able to borrow based on that available collateral. And they do require, of course, that first lien interest on that. But yeah, that's really quickly borrowing from the CLF. That That's good information. And if I find myself, so let's say four years ago, I was, I was CEO of a credit union. Four or five years ago, I decided I wanted to be a member of the CLF. And I find myself today potentially wanting to borrow short term Com compare and contrast that to someone who today is starting to have that liquidity problem, but they want to sign up. Is there an advantage to having been a member for four years and having all the paperwork done, the wiring instructions all done as a, the approvals? Because if the other thing is, I guess, if I'm going through some liquidity challenge, challenges and wanting to join, I might not be the only person in line. And that might slow things down at NCUA or my state regulator or not. Compare, contrast those two. Is there an advantage to being a member as far as the speed of getting the... Maybe just a, a marginal... Now that the CLF has a full-time staff, I would believe that applications would be able to be processed very quickly. And like we did in 2008 and 2009, 
we deputized a lot of people to be loan officers for the CLF. That was another one of my duties during the corporate crisis. I see you, you are deputized to make loans. Got it. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and so they, it has the ability to staff up. To in staff the event. up. It's got a, a bunch of application. The other thing that's keep important is if you're doing it now, it kind of reaction to a liquidity outflow. It's really hard to look at. I'm going to require, I'm going to acquire this liquidity source, but now I got to put this money on deposit with them. Right. It kind of seems a little defeats the purpose. And it might be you're putting more on deposit than the ability. To... On the short term, it, it, it looks like it doesn't help your situation if you look at it in a really short run. So those people, of course, that have been members for a while, that money is sunk into the CLF and they are receiving a reasonable return on that. And they wouldn't have to come up with that at the worst of times. Got it. This has been very informative. When I think of liquidity, some, you know, somebody once said liquidity doesn't matter until it matters. And then it's the only thing that matters. You and I have been involved in institutions like the corporates we mentioned, like some other troubled institutions that had long-term assets on one side. And it went from an asset issue to a liquidity issue real quickly. When your liquidity dries up and you have monumental issues there, it can be a challenge. And now that's not that's not exactly what the CLF is for because it's there for other purposes and not the longer term, et cetera, et cetera. But it is a great tool for credit unions to consider. And there's a lot of good information out there. And before before I wrap up the this episode, Steve, is there anything else that we should mention to our listeners relative to the CLF today? I would say if you're you have any questions at all, I would reach out. The CLF does have a phone number and I'm sure it has an email address that I believe you would receive a very, a very quick response and they would be able to answer any detailed questions that you might have. Anthony, who did the presentations, is a very knowledgeable, Anthony Capetta. He's a very smart person and I got to work with him before I'd left NCUA. So I anticipate that you would be pleased with your interactions with the CLF staff. Yeah, he's a smart guy. He's the president now. They're looking to fill the vice president. And again, more resources there, more professional website because they've got more resources to donate it to it. Steve, I want to thank you for your time today and sharing the knowledge you have, again, that very few have relative to the CLF. Thank you. You bet. And listeners, I want to thank you for joining me for this episode of With Flying Colors. I hope you enjoyed it. They'll, and I hope you'll listen again soon. This is Mark Trichel signing off with Flying Colors. Thank you for joining us on this episode of With Flying Colors. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app to hear future episodes where subject matter experts of all varieties will provide tips on how to achieve success with NCUA. If you would like to learn more about how we assist credit unions, check out our services at marktrichel.com. 